This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. It's Zoomer Radio's Theater of the Mind with Frank Proctor. Open your mind as we fill your head with amazing thrills, chills, <laughs> and laughs. Theater of the Mind, the best love programs from radio's golden age, only on Zoomer Radio. Now, here is your master storyteller, Frank Proctor. Well, thank you, and welcome to the show. Tonight, Eve Arden and the gang from Madison High are first on the bill. Our Miss Brooks is facing summer school at Madison High and is not thrilled by the prospect. Palmolive soap, your beauty hope, and luster cream shampoo for soft, glamorous, caressable hair bring you Our Miss Brooks, starring Eve Arden. For many teachers, June 17th marked the last day of the regular school term. This also applied to our Miss Brooks, who teaches English at Madison High School. Unlike many other teachers, however, I had volunteered for summer school duty. The reason? Oh, you can put it down to any one of a number of things. Caprice, the spirit of cooperation, hunger... Anyway, I did look forward to a week's vacation before summer school started, so last Friday morning I sat down at the table in Mrs. Davis's dinette and started to count the money I had saved during the past semester. Let's see now. Five, ten, twelve, sixteen, twenty-six. Oh, here's a fifty. That's about it. How much money have you got for your vacation, Connie? Seventy-six cents, Mrs. Davis. <laughs> really? Where are you going? Oh, I haven't decided. They say Monte Carlo is lovely this time of year. <laughs> I wish I could let you have some assistance, Connie, but I'm very short myself. Oh, I know. I could let you have the rent money I charged you for the last two weeks. Would you really, Mrs. Davis? Of course I would, Connie. Then I'm sorry I didn't pay it to you. <laughs> Maybe there's some way you can earn some extra money in your spare time, Connie. I remember my brother Victor used to earn quite a bit of vacation money when he was only a boy. How, Mrs. Davis? Shoveling snow. <laughs> No, in June? No, in June, no. He spent... <laughs> he spent most of his vacations in Alaska. Oh. Or uh, you might get some ideas out of these magazines here. They're just full of ads telling about spare time jobs. Mm, I'll see them. Mm. Herman Zuko made $6 the first day. At what? Popping corn on his own home popper. <laughs> they send you all the equipment, 
plus 50 pounds of corn absolutely free of charge. All you have to do is mail them a deposit. How much? $245. (laughs) I guess that one won't do. No. Oh, here's one. Future Unlimited. Learn to fly in your own home. That's no good either. My room isn't big enough. (laughs) Oh, look at this one, Connie. Let's see. Be the life of the party and earn good money besides. Whose picture is that, Connie? It says, uh, Bride of the Month, Gretchen Cleek, earned $15 playing the banjo at her own wedding. (laughs) Well, there don't seem to be so many opportunities in this issue, Connie. Well, maybe I'll think of something on my way to school. Walter Denton's picking me up this morning. What's the matter with your car, Connie? I've had a little tire trouble, Mrs. Davis. Well, isn't your spare in good condition? My spare's in perfect condition. It's the other four that are shot. (laughs) (laughs) I'll buy another cup of coffee, Connie. All right, Mrs. Davis. Not you, Minerva. You've already had your breakfast. This cat eats as a caution. She's getting fat as a horse. Good. Maybe I can ride her to school one of these days. Now you go on into the kitchen, Minerva. Go ahead, Minerva. Yesterday's paper is under the sink with a big fat Mickey Mouse cartoon. Pretty thing. Yes, she is. Hey, wait a minute. No, I don't suppose her fur would bring much. I'll get it. No, I'll get it. I have long arms. Good morning, Walter. Come in. Wait. This is not a moment to be passed over lightly. This is an exquisite moment. A delicious moment. A moment to be savored and sipped like a rare old wine. Sorry, bud. We don't serve minors at this bar. (laughs) Come on in, Walter. The sun's heating up the dust in the hall. Don't you realize, Miss Brooks, that there's nothing quite as wonderful as coming face-to-face with one's teacher on one's last day of school? Oh, yes, there is, Walter. What? The moment when one's teacher turns one's back on one's pupils on the last day of school. (laughs) Yes. Parting is such sweet sorrow. Well, we won't be parting for long. I volunteered to teach during the summer school term, and your marks have volunteered for you. (laughs) Yes, I know. But it won't be too bad. I guess my old pal Stretch will be with me. I understand that the marks he got in his final exams weren't so hot. Uh, By the way, Miss Brooks, how do you do in English? You don't have to worry about Stretch, Walter. He made summer school with flying colors. (laughs) I was just having a cup of coffee. Would you like something to eat before we leave the house? Well, I had my breakfast, Miss Brooks, but I can always nibble. Good. Come into the dinette, Walter. Morning, Mrs. Davis. Good morning, Walter. 
Can I fix you something? Uh, would ham and eggs be too much trouble? That ought to make a nice nibble. <laughs> I'll fix them for you in a jiffy, Walter. What kind of bread do you want? Oh, what have you got? White, rye, and whole wheat. That'll be fine. <laughs> this kid eats like a cat. Well, Miss Brooks, how are you going to spend all the next week? Oh, I may not spend all of it, Walter. I'll probably save some. <laughs> that is, I couldn't think of going away anywhere until I recuperate. Recuperate? From what, Miss Brooks? From an ancient malady, Walter. It's called Teacher's Blight. Gosh, how long have you had that? It's just setting in. The symptoms are always the same. First, a hollow feeling in the pit of the pocketbook, followed by a general tightening of the purse strings. In a word, you're broke? In three words, yes, darn it. Now, that isn't anything to be too desperate about, Miss Brooks. Being broke isn't so bad if you've got friends. I know, Walter, but it's just as nice to be rich and have friends. Yeah, that's true, too. But let's pursue this matter further. In order to effect a cure, we must first find the cause of the ailment. Go ahead, Doctor. At present, you are without funds, correct? Correct. Hence, you must have spent what funds you possessed on something other than that which you'd like to have said funds available for now, mustn't you? <laughs> It'll take more than summer school to straighten out that sentence. But... <laughs> Go ahead, Walter. Oh, what I mean, Miss Brooks, is that you haven't enough money for a vacation now because of the way you let it slip through your fingers earlier in the season. You're right, Walter. I could have afforded a wonderful week in the country if I hadn't frittered away all my earnings on food and rent. <laughs> Here you are, Walter. Here's some nice scrambled ham and baked eggs. <laughs> Beg pardon? It's a brand new recipe I've discovered. It's called ham and eggs country style. In what country? <laughs> if you'll excuse me, Walter, I'd like to look through some more of these magazines while you're eating. I've been trying to find some way to make some money in my spare time. Oh, gosh, why didn't you say so, Miss Brooks? She just did, Walter. But there doesn't seem to be anything worthwhile. You mean you really want to work at something other than teaching, Miss Brooks? During my free time, yes. Well, then I may have just the thing for you. You see, I'm trying to raise some extra money, too, Miss Brooks, and I'd be happy to... Oh, no. Now, first, I've got to get permission from my partners. Your partners? Yeah. Stretch Snodgrass and Harriet Conklin. Oh, but I'm sure they'll be glad to have you with us. With you in what, Walter? Well, it's very confidential. I won't breathe a word of it, Walter. Word of honor, Mrs. Davis? Word of honor. Honestly, Miss Brooks, this thing is terrific. What thing is terrific? It's just a gold mine. Give me a map and a shovel, and I'll meet you there at midnight. <laughs> now, come on, Walter. You've had me in suspense long enough. What is this fabulous sideline I'm getting into? Well, I'd rather not say until we talk to Stretch and Harriet, but I'm going to pick them up on our way to school. They're waiting in the pet shop that Stretch's dad runs. Oh, that reminds me. I've got to feed Minerva. Say, that's right. The poor thing hasn't had a square meal in ten minutes. <laughs> I'll take care of everything, Connie. You run along with Walter. And I wish you both a lot of luck in your new enterprise. Thanks, Mrs. Davis. Well, we better be going, Miss Brooks. All right, Walter, but you'll have to give me a few minutes to fix up. After all, if we're going to the Snodgrass Pet Shop, I want to look my best. 
You mean when you meet your new business associates? Not entirely, Walter. There's a monkey in there who has a crush on me. <laughs> a monkey? Yes. Stretch once read him Tarzan of the Apes, and he thinks I'm Jane. <laughs> with Walter Denton is always an invigorating experience. It's great practice for underwater swimming, too. At one point during our ride, I held my breath for three straight blocks. When we finally arrived at our destination, I made a mental note to send a generous contribution to the League for Frightened Pedestrians. <laughs> well, here's the pet shop, Miss Brooks. It better be. A jewelry store would look pretty silly with all those puppies in the window. Oh, aren't they cute, Walter? What's that St. Bernard doing in there? No, oh, that's Stretch. Oh. <laughs> Come on, let's go in. Hiya, Stretch. It's me. Oh, hi, Walter. Oh, hello, Miss Brooks. Hello, Stretch. Where's your dad? Well, he'll be down later. I opened the shop today. I was just feeding the animals. How about Harriet? She had breakfast at home. <laughs> oh, you mean where is she at? Well, she's in back examining some of our equipment. Oh, let's go back. We've got to vote Miss Brooks into the business. No kidding. Is Miss Brooks coming in with us? Well, that depends on if she still wants to after she hears what it is. It also depends on if I'm not too old when I hear what it is. Well, it's about time you... Oh, hello, Miss Brooks. Good morning, Harriet. It was my fault Walter's late. We were discussing the possibilities of my joining your new enterprise. Our enterprise? Yes, the one that's well calculated to keep you in... Suspense. <laughs> Is it okay with you, Harriet? Miss Brooks will make a wonderful contact man for us. Yeah, she sure will. A swell contact man. Of course, I'll feel a little foolish in this dress. <laughs> well, I'm all for it, of course, but... Well, do you know what the business is, Miss Brooks? No. It's taxidermy. Taxidermy? Yeah. You know, where you stuff stuff. <laughs> just any stuff. Birds and animals and things like that that people grow attached to. Well, I don't know, kid. Oh, I don't think that... do it, Miss Brooks. My dad is furnishing all the equipment. He used to be in that business, you know. It's really a public service, Miss Brooks. Like when old Mr. Phillips, you know, the man who has the farm right nearby, well, one of his pet oxen died and he felt terrible till Stretch's dad fixed him up. Sure. Now the ox is still standing in his stall out in the barn and, and Mr. Phillips can run in and see him every once in a while. He's exactly like when he was alive. Without the pulling power, of course. <laughs> it's a great business, Miss Brooks. And just think, you don't have to ha make any investment. All you need is an apron and something sharp. But you better think it over, Miss Brooks. Taxidermy may not be a dignified enough avocation for a school teacher. Well, I'm afraid Harriet's right. Besides, I wouldn't want to deplete your share of the earnings. I imagine there isn't too much money in it. Well, with the orders we've got in already, we should gross almost $100. Plus some swell leads that you could follow up as a contact man. Sure. Altogether, we'll clear about $50 apiece. Did you say $50? Sure. Stretch. Yes, Miss Brooks? Throw me an apron, an ox, and something sharp. <laughs> 
Although a little dubious about my new extracurricular activity, Stuffing Stuff Incorporated, I was determined to raise some extra money. I got my first opportunity as a taxidermy salesman during lunch period. Oh, excuse me, Miss Brooks, but I've got a wonderful lead for our new business. Really, Harriet? Who is it? My father. Your father? But you've got a moose head in your living room now. (laughs) You mean uh, he wants something stuffed? I happen to know that he caught a fish up at Crystal Lake yesterday, and he's entering it in his fishing club's annual contest this afternoon. Maybe you can sell him the idea of having it mounted. But why me? Why don't you sell him the idea? Because coming from me, the whole thing would seem like kid stuff to Daddy. But with you handling it, the whole project takes on weight. I guess this girdle has given up the ghost. <laughs> Look, Harriet, your father's a pretty tough customer, and I'm not the logical contender. You shouldn't be afraid of Daddy, Miss Brooks. His bark is much worse than his bite. I don't know about that. A bite you can have cauterized. But this is a great opportunity to get our business off to a flying start Why, did he catch a flying fish? (laughs) Say you'll take a crack at Daddy Well, if you'll get somebody to hold him, I'll... I mean... (laughs) If you think I ought to, Harriet, I'll talk to your father Is he having lunch in the cafeteria? No, Miss Brooks Since he went fishing yesterday, he can't stand the sight of food So he's taken a baked apple to his office Now, go ahead, Miss Brooks. Beard the lion in his den. All right, Harriet. I'll try to beard the lion. But I'd feel a lot better if I'd once removed a thorn from his paw. Excuse me, Mr. Conklin. Could I see you for a moment? I suppose so, Miss Brooks. Have a seat. I'm trying to get this baked apple down. Who won the first fall? I I heard you were a little upset lately. Yes, yes, ever since my little expedition to Crystal Lake yesterday. But it was worth it, Miss Brooks. I landed a beauty, even though the lake got pretty rough for a while there. Oh, I know the feeling, Mr. Conklin. The last time I went fishing, it got pretty choppy. I'll never forget how that boat pitched and rolled and pitched and rolled. Oh, no. If you don't mind, Miss Brooks, I wish you'd postpone the recital of your experience at sea <laughs> till I've had another go at this baked apple. Oh, of course, Mr. Conklin. What I wanted to talk to you about was that beauty you hauled in yesterday. Now, you must admit, Mr. Conklin, that there's nothing quite as unprepossessing as a dead fish. Miss <laughs> Brooks. There must be something else we can chat about. Oh, this is important, Mr. Conklin. Do you realize that I can transform into a vibrant, beautiful object what is now nothing but a cold, gray, sodden mass? How, you ask? I do not. Well, I'll tell you. (laughs) My taxidermy, Mr. Conklin. Take Mr. Phillips, the farmer. Months after it passed away, Mr. Phillips could still go out to his barn and see his pet ox standing there. Well, bully for him. (laughs) Now for another try at this baked apple. 
Mr. Conklin, I'm afraid you underestimate the importance of taxidermy. Have you any idea of what it takes to stuff an ox? (laughs) Miss Brooks, would you like this baked apple? (laughs) No, thanks, Mr. Conklin. I just had some stuffed peppers for lunch. Naturally. (laughs) Now, what is all this nonsense about taxidermy? Well, frankly, Mr. Conklin, I'm trying to earn a little extra money in my spare time. But, Miss Brooks, taxidermy... Your fish will make a wonderful trophy, especially if it wins the contest this afternoon. But I'm not at all sure it will win the contest. It's only a 29-inch bass. Last year, it took a 32-incher to win. Well, then you should turn the fish over to us before the contest. Taxidermy will make it even larger. I'm surprised at you, Miss Brooks. Stuffing fish. You, a public educator, stooping to such... to such... larger? (laughs) Inches larger. You'll find the speckled beauty in the cafeteria refrigerator. It's roomier than the one we have at home. Oh, thank you, Mr. Conklin. You won't be sorry. The club is meeting at my home at five sharp. You're sure you can have it there by then? Positive, Mr. Conklin. Very well. Oh, one more thing, Miss Brooks. What is it going to cost me to stuff my fish? Shall we say a fin, Mr. Conklin? to each other. That's where this bath and I are headed. Well, here we are, Mrs. Davis. Oh, hello, Connie. I was just... Who's that with you? <laughs> this is a 29-inch bath, which is about to be preserved for Mr. Conklin and posterity. Meow. Oh, hello, Minerva. She's hungry again. But so far, I haven't given in to her. I don't like the way she stuffs herself lately. Me either. It isn't fair to us taxidermists. Uh, Let me put this fish in the icebox till the kids get here, hmm? There. That ought to keep until my business associates arrive. Your business associates? Harriet, Walter, and Stretch. I'm sales manager of Stuffing Stuff Incorporated. I just put my first client in the icebox. Mr. Conklin's commissioned us to have his fish mounted. What a charming notion. And now, if you'll excuse me, dear, I've got some shopping to do. I was on my way out the back door when you came in. Certainly, Mrs. Davis. Oh, is it all right if we use the kitchen for a little while? Of course, dear. Just help yourself. Goodbye. Bye, Mrs. Davis. We're stuffing Mr. Conklin's bass. Hooray, hooray. <laughs> Coming. Well, here we are, Miss Brooks. Yep, here we are. Come in, boys. Where's Harriet? Well, she didn't come, Miss Brooks. She said she'd rather sit this part of the business out. It gets kind of gooky. <laughs> I think I'll sit with her. I got all the equipment here, Miss Brooks. Where's the subject? Back in the kitchen. Just follow me. It's a pretty good-sized fish, boys. I hope it doesn't take too long to do the job. Oh, it'll just be a few minutes, Miss Brooks. Oh, nothing to it. Old Stretch just takes out his pointy knife and then... Uh, never mind the details, Walter. In... Uh, the fish is in the icebox here. Oh, now, that's funny. I put it right on the bottom shelf. Well, isn't there now? Meow, meow. Look at Minerva. 
She looks like the cat that swallowed the canary. She looks like the cat that swallowed the canary that swallowed the bass. Look, Miss Brooks. Look at this skeleton over here in the corner. What's it doing out of my closet? It's all that's left of the fish. Gosh, I can't stuff a skeleton. This is simply terrible, boys. Mr. Conklin's fishing club's meeting at his home in a couple of hours. Oh, Minerva, how could you do this to me? The way you eat, you should oink instead of meowing. Well, it serves you right. Now get out of this kitchen before I paste some fins on you and put you on a board. There's only one thing we can do. You kids will have to run down to Hershey's Market and buy the closest thing to a 29-inch bass that they've got. Oh, great, Miss Brooks. Mr. Conklin will never know the difference. I hope not. Now, hurry. Come on, Stretch. Okay, Walter. Oh, just one thing, Miss Brooks. What color fish should we ask for? Color? As for... I don't know. Bass color, I guess. Brooks, I'll put him on the kitchen table here, Stretch. Okay, Walter. I think the first thing to do is spray him with a bottle of sweet air. Wait a minute. He doesn't look as big as the one Mr. Conklin caught. Oh, don't worry about that, Miss Brooks. We bought a football bladder and a tire pump, too. That was Walter's idea. That's what it sounds like. Sure. We just stick the bladder in him and pump him up till he's the right size. But isn't that dangerous? Not if we're careful. Come on, Stretch. Let's get started. Okay, Walter. Flashlight. Flashlight. Hammer. Hammer. Ice pick. Smelling salt. (laughs) Don't worry, I won't. The rubber bladder's in. Now start pumping. There. Think that's enough air, Miss Brooks? Enough. If his eyes pop out any further, we'll be sued by Eddie Cantor. (laughs) And so, fellow members of the fishing club, it is with a good deal of pride that I accept this blue ribbon for my entry in the annual contest. If you'll just hold the fish up, Miss Brooks, I'd like to pin this ribbon right on his gleaming side. Oh, oh but Mr. Conklin, I wouldn't advise Oh, ah, there we are. In you go. How they are, anyone? Well, the fish blew up, followed shortly afterwards by Mr. Conklin. (laughs) Thus ended the career of Constance Brooks, girl taxidermist. (laughs) However, I was still determined to find some outside source of income. So when I arrived home, I started looking through the magazines once again. Well, Tommy, have you made any vacation money as yet? No, I haven't, thanks to that hoggish cat of ours. Wait a minute. I've got it. What, Connie? The perfect business. Make violins in your own home. I'm going to start immediately. But, Connie, you haven't got any of the equipment. Oh, no? 
Here, Minerva. Here, kitty, 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 kitty. <laughs> Miss Brooks Show, brought to you by Palmolive Soap, your beauty hope, and luster cream shampoo for soft, glamorous, caressable hair. Our Miss Brooks, starring Eve Arden, is produced by Larry Burns, written and directed by Al Lewis, with music by Wilbur Hatch. Mr. Conklin was played by Gail Gordon. Others in tonight's cast were Jane Morgan, Dick Crenna, Gloria McMillan, and Leonard Smith. <laughs> Liberally sprinkled with laughs, listen to Mr. and Mrs. North, the exciting, fun-packed adventures of an amateur detective and his beautiful wife. Tune in Tuesday evening over most of these same stations. And be with us again next week at the same time for another comedy episode of Our Miss Brooks. Bob Lamont speaking. Stay tuned now for Life with Luigi, which follows over most of these stations. This is CBS, the Columbia Broadcasting Stay tuned for Escape next on Theater of the Mind. One of the most appreciated dramatic shows on radio was Escape, which employed top writers of the day and super production qualities. Here's the episode entitled A Tooth for Paul Revere. Fed up with the everyday grind? Tired out from the summer heat? Want to get away from it all? We offer you Escape. Escape, designed to free you from the four walls of today for a half hour of high adventure. You are spurring a lathered horse through darkened streets, trapped by two hostile armies with a kit of magic in your pocket and the American Revolution in the balance. Tonight, we escape to an earlier day and to the workshop of a famous wizard... As Stephen Vincent Benet told it in his delightful story, A Tooth for Paul Revere. Some say it all happened because of Hancock and Adams, and some put it back to the Stamp Act and before. Then there's some that hold out for Paul Revere and his little silver box. But the way I heard it, the American Revolution broke out because of Lige Butterwick, and his tooth. My great-aunt was a butterwick, and I heard it from her. Every now and then, she'd write it out and want to get it put in the history books, but they'd always put her off with some trifling sort of excuse. But the way she told it to us kids, sitting there before the flickering fire on some blustery, blowy night, it sounded spooky enough and wonderful enough to be as true as the Union. History books, bah. You don't get the right of things from such. In the story of a nation, it's the queer corners that count. The tales that get whispered down through families. Now take Paul Revere, for instance. All most folks think about is his riding a horse. But he was a silversmith by trade. 
There was a kind of magic in that hand of his. I could see just a little bit farther into the millstone than most folks. And in that little shop of his on those fateful nights, he sat over a miraculous flame and brewed the revolution in a silver teapot. And then he put it into a little silver box. No bigger than this. Yes, that's the way my great-aunt talked about Paul Revere. And the chills ran up our spines. But it takes all kinds to make a country, she used to say. And it isn't till the plain ones, like Lige Butterwick, get stirred up, that things really start to happen. Lige was just an ordinary sort of man, without special vision into a millstone. It might be a grand day in the history books, but for him it was just Tuesday. Till he read about it in the papers. Folks could argue and fret about Boston tea parties and British warships in Boston Harbor and British soldiers in Boston streets. But Lige Butterwick just tucked his tongue and wondered how the corn might stand this year on his farm outside Lexington, Massachusetts. One day, Lige Butterwick woke up with a toothache. The hot salt pack and the tansy tea his wife fixed for him didn't seem to help much. On the third day, Mrs. Butterwick tied a string to the tooth and Lige stood by the door. You ready? Uh-huh. <coughs> well? Marthy, when it came to the pinch, couldn't quite do it. So? That's how Lige Butterwick came to ride into Lexington, Massachusetts that day. He just had to see somebody about that tooth. And when he got there, the town was in an uproar. Lige! Lige Butterwick! Eh? Oh, good day to you, neighbor Williams. Lige, I didn't expect to see you here today. It's my tooth. Tooth? What do you mean? Uh, uh, hi, uh, hi. Huh? Oh? Isn't it exciting? Exciting? The toothache? No, no, you idiot. All this. <laughs> Have you seen them yet? Seen who? Why, Hancock and Adams, of course. John Hancock and Sam Adams. They're at the Parson Clark's. Only folks who come here to see was the barber. Figure he's the only one who can do something for my tooth. Uh, you don't fool me, Lige. You're probably just as excited as I am. Have you cleaned your musket? Musket? Why, it's five months the hunting season yet. <laughs> That's where you're wrong, Lige. Looks like hunting season may be early this year. Hmm? Keep your powder dry. Uh, huh? And so Lige Butterwick came to Lexington, and it was a great day for the history books. And to him, it was just Tuesday. And his tooth was jumping. And he went to see the barber as the likeliest man he knew to pull a tooth. But the barber took one look at it and shook his head. Now, I can pull her out all right, Lige, but uh, she's got long roots and strong roots, and she can't leave an awful gap when she's gone. Hmm, that's true. Now, what you really need, though it's caustic my business... One of these here artificial teeth to go there in the hole. Artificial teeth? Yeah. Hey, uh, land of mercy, it's flying in the face of nature. Nothing the kind, Lodge. Artificial teeth is all the goo these days. Like some ought to keep up with the times. But I, it would do me no good to see you with an artificial tooth. Yes, indeed it would. It would do you good, but uh, supposing I did want one, how in Tunket would I get it in Lexington? Now, you just leave that all to me. You'll have to go into Boston, but I know just the man. 
here if I can find it. Uh, had his prospectus here somewhere. Oh, oh yes, here. See here? Mm-hmm. This fella called it in Boston that fixes him, and they say he's a boss workman. Okay. Yes, now you just listen to this here. Whereas many persons were so unfortunate as to lose their forty. Now, that's you, Lige. Oh, yeah. Uh, to their great detriment, not only in looks, but in speaking, both in public and private. This is to inform all such that they can have them uh, replaced by artificial ones. I see. That will look as well as a natural and answer the end of speaking to all intents. Hmm. Oh, yes, and then see, it goes on. Oh, his name. Yes, his name is right here. Uh, Paul Revere, Goldsmith, near the head of Dr. Clark's Wharf in Boston. Hmm. Sounds well enough, but... What's it going to cost? Oh, I, I know Revere. Comes through here pretty often, as a matter of fact. Does? Yes, and he's a decent fella. Even if he is a pretty big bug in son's look day. Now, you just mentioned my name. Well, it's something I hadn't thought of, but in for penny, in for pound. Mm-hmm. Mr. Day's work already, and that tooth's got to come out before I go stock staring mad. But what sort of man is this Revere, anyway? Oh, he's a regular wizard. A regular wizard with his tools. Wizard? Hmm. I don't know about wizards, but if he can fix my tooth, I'll call him one. So, Lige Butterwick got back on his horse and started for Boston. He rode through the busy, excited streets of Lexington, and when he came opposite the residence of Parson Clark, he saw a little crowd collected, men staring. So he stopped his horse for a moment and looked. Mister, is that them? Is it who, son? Mr. Hancock and Mr. Adams, sir. There, through the window. Tall, handsome man and the short man with a face like a bulldog. Hmm. I wouldn't know, son. They're strangers to me. Get out. When he got to Boston, he began to feel queer. And it wasn't only his tooth. He hadn't been there for four years. And he'd expected to find it changed, but... It wasn't that either. The sky was clear and beautiful, but... Lige felt like there was thunder in the air. It was uncanny. And the people, there'd been little knots of them on the corners, but when you came up to them, they seemed to melt away. Or they'd look at you and stop talking. And then he came to the harbor. Out there in the port of Boston, riding black and grim with the British warships. He'd known they'd be there, of course, but it was different somehow, seeing them with their guns pointed in at the town. Suddenly he felt uncomfortable. Felt he'd like to turn and go home. But he was hungry, and so he went to a tavern for a bite. <coughs> uh, good day to you. And what may I do for you, stranger? Uh... Just a bite and a sop, if you're serving. I have a seat. You'll be served. Thank you. Uh, nice weather we're having these days. It's bitter weather for Boston. Uh, well, <laughs> now, maybe for Boston, but out in the country, we'd call it good planting weather. I guess maybe I was mistaken in you. It is good planting weather for some kind of trees. In trees. Well, now, I suppose you're right about that. That's so. And what kind of trees would you be thinking of? There's trees and trees, you know. Uh, Well, uh, now that you ask me, You meant the Liberty Tree. And may it soon be watered in the blood of tyrants. Now, the Royal Oak of England and God save King George and loyalty! Adam, boys! I didn't mean... Adam, boy! Adam, boy! 
Glory. I always heard city folks were crazy. But politics must be getting serious in these American colonies when they start fighting about trees. Aye, and it is, friend. So they threw you out, too? Yes, blast them. But I want to shake your hand. Nobly done, friend. I'm glad to find another true-hearted man loyal to the crown in this pestilent, rebellious city. Well, I don't know as I quite agree with you about that. But I came here to get my tooth fixed, not to talk about politics. And as long as you've spoken so pleasant, I wonder if you could help me out. You see, I'm from Lexington Way, and I'm uh, looking for a fellow named Paul Revere. Paul Revere? No, so it's Paul Revere you want, my worthy and ingenious friend from the country. Well, I'll tell you how to find him. Good, I thank you. You'll go up to the first British soldier you'll see and ask the way, but uh, you'd better give the password first. Password? Yes, you say to that British soldier... Any lobsters for sale today? And then you ask about Revere. Uh, but uh, why do I talk about lobsters first? Well, you see, the British soldiers wear red coats, so they like being asked about lobsters. Uh. Just try it and see. <laughs> Just try it, my friend, and see. Uh, pardon me, sir. Uh, do you have any lobsters for sale today? What? How dare you seize that man? Uh, Barrow, place to hide. Down that way. Come on, Sergeant. Huh? You can come out now. They've gone past. Oh. Oh, yes, thank you. Nice. <clears throat> Look at your clothes. That was a tar barrel you jumped into. Yes, I'm a sight. What were they chasing you for? I really don't know. Guess I didn't give the right password. Password? Yes, but all the same, I don't think soldiers ought to act like that when you ask them a civil question. But city folks are soldiers. They can't make a fool out of me. I came here to get my tooth fixed and get it fixed to well if I have to surprise the whole British kingdom to do it. Good for you, sir. Uh, can I be of any help to you? Ah, you can, boy. Uh, tell me where I may find the silversmith, Paul Revere. Oh, that's easy. Right before your eyes. There's a sign hanging down by the wharf, and that's his shop. I work there. Well, now, those soldiers did me a good turn after all. Come on, boy, now maybe I'll get my tooth fixed. Butterwick was in the shop of Paul Revere, silversmith, goldsmith, jack of all trades, sculpturer of artificial teeth, brewer of revolutions, wizard. The shop itself was small and dark, with mysterious shadows lurking in the corners and the back. It was crammed full of the wondrous products of its owner's skillful hand, gold and silver objects of great beauty. Prince of Boston and caricatures of the British. Odd boxes and bottles filling the shelves. At this particular moment, it was also full of customers. And Lige Butterwick, with the cautious shyness of the countryman, sank back into a corner seat out of the way and watched as Paul Revere waited on several customers. And the last of these was a grand lady who looked like a I rate turkey goblin. Oh, Master Revere, I am so disappointed. When I took the things from the box, I could just have cried. It's I who am disappointed, madam. What was the trouble? Must have been carelessly packed. Was it badly dented? No. I'll speak to the boy. No, no, it wasn't dented. 
But I wanted a really impressive silver service, something I can use when the, the governor comes to dine with us. I certainly paid for the best. And what have you given me? I've given you the best work of which I'm capable, madam. It was in my hands for six months. And I think they're capable hands. Oh, I know you were a, a competent artisan, Master uh, Silver. Silversmith, ma'am. Well, I don't care please. what you call it. I know I wanted a real service, something I could show my friends. And what have you given me? Oh, it's silver if you choose. But it's just as plain as a picket fence. <laughs> Simple. Plain. You pay me high compliments, madam. Mm, compliments, indeed. I'll send it back tomorrow. Why, there isn't as much as a lion or a unicorn on the cream jug. And I told you I wanted the sugar bowl covered with silver grapes. But you've given me something as bare as the hills of New England. And I won't stand it, I tell you. I'll send to London instead. Send away, madam. We're making new things in this country. New men. New silver. Perhaps who knows a new nation. Plain, simple, bare as the hills and rocks of New England. Graceful as the boughs of elm trees. If my silver were only like that indeed. That's what I wished to make it. As for you, madam, with your lions and unicorns and grape leaves and your nonsense of bad ornamentation done by bad silversmiths, your imported bad taste and your imported British manners, puff what? away with you. Puff, puff, puff. Why? Why you Puff, I say. William? Yes, sir? <laughs> Put up the shutters. We are closing for the day. Uh, oh, William, no word yet from Dr. Warren? Not yet, sir. <clears throat> yeah, what's that? Well, who are you there in the corner? Well, Mr. Vare. It is Mr. Vare, isn't it? Yes, yes, of course. Uh, it's a kind of a long story, but uh, closing or not, you got to listen to me. The barber told me so. The barber? You see, I'm Lige Butterwick, and it's my tooth. <laughs> you'd, uh, you'd better begin at the beginning. Uh, oh, but wait now. Here, you don't talk like a Boston man. Where'd you come from? Oh, around Lexington Way. And you Lexington? Say, were you there this morning? Well, of course I was. That's where the barber I Never mind about, about barber. Were Miss Hancock and Mr. Adams still at Parson Clark's? Well, uh, they might have been, for all I know. But I couldn't say. Great heaven, is there a man in the American colonies who don't know Miss Hancock and Mr. Adams? Well, there seems to be me. But uh, speaking of strangers, uh, there was two of them staying at the parsonage when I rode past. One was a handsome man. The other man uh, looked more like a bulldog. So they are still there. And the British ready to march. Did you see many soldiers as you came to my shop, Mr. Butterwick? See them. They chased me into a tar barrel. It was a whole parcel of them by the common with guns and flags. Looked as if they meant business. Thank you, Mr. Butterwick. You're a shrewd observer. You've done me and the colonies an invaluable service. Ah, oh, that's nice to know. But uh, speaking of this, too... <laughs> You're a stubborn man, Mr. Butterwick. All the better. I like stubborn men. I wish we had more of them. Well, one good turn serves another. You've helped me. I'll do my best for you. I've made artificial teeth, but drawing them is hardly my trade. All the same, it's... Have a look. Here. Come over here by the light. Hi. And now, open. Ah. Yeah. Well, Mr. Motherwick, it appears to be compound agglutinated infection of the upper molar. Oh. And I'm afraid I can't do anything about it tonight. But, but, but uh, 
here's a draft that will ease the pain for a while. There. Drink. <clears throat> it's, um, it's spicy and, uh, and queer. <laughs> Never mind. Now you go to a tavern, get a night dress, come back see me in the morning. I'll find a truth drawer for you. If I'm here. Oh, yes, uh, you'd best have some liniment. Uh, that's a queer kind of shop you have here, Mr. Bear. <laughs> some folks think so. Say, uh, what's in that little bottle? Where? Oh, there. That's a little chemical experiment of mine. I call it Essence of Boston. But there's a good deal of the east wind in Essence of Boston? Well, they did say you was a wizard. It's genuine magic, I suppose. Genuine magic, of course. And here. Here's the marsh with your liniment. It, no, no. Not that one. This one. Ah, thank you. Uh, but that other little box there, the little silver one with the stars on it and the elm tree. Oh, yes. You like it? Pick it up. Yeah. Mighty pretty work. Thank you. My own design. Thirteen stars there. See them? Uh-huh. You could make a very pretty design with stars. For a new country, say. If you wanted to. I've sometimes thought of it. But, um, what's in the box? It feels queer. What's in it? What's in the air? Founders. And powder. War. Making of a new nation. The time isn't right yet. Not quite right. You mean that this here revolution that folks keep talking about? Yes. In this box? Glory be. Master Via, it's come, it's come. The message from Dr. Warren. William, my riding boots. Now, hurry, I must be off. Sorry, Mr. Butterwick, but I must rush. Take your liniment and come back tomorrow. Oh, yeah. Thank you, I, If I'm back tomorrow, I'll help you. Yes, good day, sir. Good day. It wasn't till Lige Butterwick was alone in his room at the tavern where he was to stay the night that he realized what he had done. In the bustle and haste of leaving Mr. Revere's shop, he had picked up the wrong box. Instead of the box of liniment, he held in his hand the little silver box with the thirteen stars upon it. He hadn't quite believed Mr. Revere when he talked about the box. But then, everything had seemed so almighty queer since he'd arrived in Boston. And his toothache, and his head felt light. And he, being human, was curious. He looked for a keyhole. But there was none. The box wouldn't open. He shook it. Suddenly, it felt warm. As if there was something alive inside it. He held it to his ear. Great Godfrey. Now, Lige Butterwick was feeling scared. But he was feeling kind of good, too. And then he found out that he was talking to himself. Well, I'm not a Britisher. I'm a New Englander. And maybe there's something beyond that. Something people like Hancock and Adams know about. 
And if it has to come with a revolution, well, I guess it has to come. Can't stay Britishers forever here in this country. But what am I going to do with this box? Too big a job for one man. Guess we'll have to take this back to Paul Revere. First, he went to the little shop on Clark's Wharf. But it was closed up tight. And it was a while before he could rouse anyone. Then it was the boy, William, who opened the door. Oh, it's you. Well, Master Revere isn't here. But I've got to find him. Can you tell me where he's gone? Why do you want to know? Got something for him. He needs it. You wouldn't be a spy for the British now, would you? A spy? Me? Well, and what is it you got for him? This box. little silver box. Took it by mistake. Think it's important. The box? By the flag, it is important. But he's gone. Gone to one of the patriots that the British are coming. Uh, which way, boy? Which way did he go? Uh, across the river. Uh, to Charlestown. All right. Thank you, boy. I'll be following. No, you don't get any boats for me. There was a crazy man long here an hour ago, and he wanted a boat, too. My husband was crazy enough to take him. And then do you know what he did? No, ma'am. He made my husband take my best petticoat to muffle the oars so they wouldn't splash when they passed that Britisher ship. My best petticoat, mind you. Huh. When my husband comes back, he's going to get a piece of my mind. Uh, was his name Paul Revere? Was he a man of 40-odd, keen-looking, kind of Frenchy? Don't know what his right name is, but his name's Mud with me. My best petticoat tore into strips and swimming in that nasty river. Uh, thank you, ma'am. I'll get a boat elsewhere. Mr. Butterwick, sir, be careful. Your own is right under the stern of a British man of war. Don't worry, I say it. Please, Mr. Butterwick, shh. Oi, there. Good evening, Mr. Fisher. I guess not. Thought I had a boat. Be careful, Mr. Butterwick. All right, boy. Revere, he's been going an hour. Gone? Gone where? Riding to Lexington to warn Hancock and Adams as soon as he spied the lights up there in the North Church. I've got to catch him. It's this box. He's got to have it. Where can I get a horse? Right over here. Come on. Through the darkened streets of Charlestown, he rode on into the black of the countryside. Once he got lost, but he found his way again and rode on. It was just dawn as he came inside of Lexington, and the dew was glistening on the green of the April grass. But Lige Butterwick didn't notice the beauty of the dawn. The little silver box was hot now and burning in his pocket. And then suddenly he reined in his horse. For there on the road were two men carrying a trunk, and one of them was Paul Revere. Well, Mr. Fair, say I'm on time for that little appointment about my tooth. Well, um, <laughs> you, you are a stubborn man, Mr. Butterwick. Ah, well, but uh, you've given me a merry chase all night. I've had one myself. Been captured by the British once and escaped. Don't know what's still in store for me, but we're carrying a precious cargo here in this trunk. We're bringing to safety all the private papers of Mr. Hancock and Mr. Adams. Uh, which reminds me, I've uh, something for you here. Silver box. I've got the silver box. I by mistake, and it's getting frightfully hot in my hand. Yes, my friend, and a little wonder. Across there, Lexington Green. The green? 
Why, there's a line of Lexington men. And there across the creek, facing them, there's a column of British redcoats. Yeah, they lined up with guns, they are, Mr. Butterwick. They've come to arrest Mr. Hancock and Mr. Adams, and the minute men stand before them. Mr. Fair, I'm a peaceable man. I've had little notion of politics. But I don't like what I saw in Boston. I don't like soldiers chasing peaceable citizens into tar barrels or uppity ladies with imported British manners. And I don't like British redcoats on Lexington Green. That I don't. Mr. Bedwick, what are you doing? I'm stamping on your silver box, Mr. Revere. I'm breaking it open. Do you know what you've done? You've let out the American Revolution. Look, they've fired the first shots. Well, I guess it's about time. And I guess I'd better be going now. Uh, but, Mr. Butterwick, where are you going? Home. Got a musket on the wall there. I'll be needing it. Uh, but here, what about your tooth? Oh, a tooth's just a tooth. But a country's a country. Anyhow, doesn't ache anymore. <laughs> Escape, produced and directed by Norman MacDonald. Tonight brought to you A Tooth for Paul Revere by Stephen Vincent Benet. Adapted for radio by John Dunkel and featuring Harry Bartell as Lige Butterwick, Parley Bear as Paul Revere, and Barry Kroger as the narrator. Special music by Ivan Dittmars. Next week, you are deep in a fabulous cavern in a mountain, surrounded by a horde of angry natives from a lost world held the mercy of the most beautiful woman in the world, the terrible queen called She. Next week, we escape with H. Ryder Haggard's famous story, She. Good night, then, until the same time next week, when once again we offer you Escape. Thank you for listening. Tomorrow night, it's Jack Benny, followed by Fred Allen. Thanks to Joel Schoenwell for technical support. The executive producer for Theater of the Mind is Moses Neimer. I'm Frank Proctor. Have a great evening. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.